Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. In the last passage of Mark, and uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and start to turn there. Mark chapter 14, 42 through 52. In the red Bibles, it's on page. Does anyone know, actually? Oh, 851. Thank you. You all know. Very good. As you turn there, uh, I'll just start by saying that we love control. When we're not in control, we become anxious, fearful. We earnestly desire to fix it. But one area where we have absolutely no control, and as much as we try to pretend that we do, we try to manipulate it as much as you can, is we have absolutely no control to heal wounds, whether physical or internal. It's, a, it's an area where we wish we could heal the wounds we've caused others, to heal the wounds that others have caused us, and even to heal the wounds that we've caused ourselves. Um, but we have very limited control to turn a bad thing by something that is by nature a bad thing and make it good. So this is honestly a God thing. Our passage today deals with things you and I cannot control. It deals with evil that in the face of, we are helpless to reverse. Let's go ahead and read now Mark 14, verses 42 through 52. I'm actually going to start in verse uh, 41b. Jesus says to his disciples, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him and at once said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out as against a robber? with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we have eyes to see 
your sovereignty, but Lord, also within that sovereignty, your mercy, your grace, your power to do things that we are not able to do. And Lord, give us eyes to see and to humbly repent of the ways that we need you to step in in ways we cannot step in, even though we try with all our might to do it ourselves, God. Pray this in your name. Amen. I've always been fascinated by the concept that man uh, can seek to understand and know God. It feels incredible, even almost unbelievable, that we could begin to even understand and comprehend a portion of him. But this is what God has done, is that he has revealed himself to his creation. My brain tries to wrap my head around it like by trying to picture up an artist giving life to a painting and then the artist saying, showing the painting who he is and what he's like. It's, it's mind-boggling. But it's a theme we see that rev- uh, of God that is revealed time and time again in Scripture is that God does take bad and dead things and makes them good and alive. He takes a barren woman in her 90s and gives her children. He takes a nation enslaved for 400 years with no hope of freedom and sets them free. He multiplies food for a widow and a young child who had so little food that they made a plan for how they were going to die. He takes people dead in sin and makes them alive in Christ. And yes, the very means by which he even does that is quite literally by raising a dead man to life, Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis calls this the complex good. Being able to take the bad and dead things and making them good and alive. And let's hear the following quote by him. In the fallen and partially redeemed universe, we may distinguish four things. One, the simple good descending from God. Two, the simple evil produced by rebellious creatures. And three, the exploitation of that evil by God for his redemptive purpose, which produces four, the complex good out of simple evil. So there's simple good, there's simple evil, there's God exploiting that evil for his redemptive purposes, which produces the complex good. Our passage today has a lot of evil in it. One can only imagine or hope that God does in this passage what he does time and time again throughout all of Scripture to bring good out of evil, to exploit wrong things for his redemptive purposes. I love that thought, that, that, that line, exploiting evil. That sounds so victorious. In my prideful moments, and I hesitate to admit this, but there are more similarities with the people in this passage than not. And I often pause and sometimes ponder and question. I'm like, wait, Lord, do I really behave like Judas sometimes? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no, but in some ways, yes. Like these people in this passage, we too are guilty of directly wronging Jesus. We need this. I need this. I need to know that God does something incredible with the sinful things that I do that should only bring destruction. Can God really heal the wounds that I've caused others? 
Can God really heal the wounds that others have caused me that feel so permanent? But because God exploits evil for good, we must have hope in God's plan. Even while we are guilty, especially when we are guilty, we must have hope in God's plan. So there are three ways we see this. First, we have hope amidst betrayal. The clearest moment of evil in our passage is Judas's betrayal of Jesus. The passage even begins, and Jesus sets up the scene with this statement in verse 42. Let's read again. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs and the chief priests and scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer gave them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when Judas came, he went up to Jesus at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. So Judas arrives, surrounded with the armed crowd and religious leaders, and he gave them a sign to distinguish Jesus from the other disciples. It was in the middle of the night, it would have been very dark, and, uh, and some of these people would not have recognized Jesus in that kind of setting. So Judas tells them he will kiss Jesus, which is actually, it's, not, it's, it's a common sign of affection shown by a disciple for his teacher. But in a different gospel account in Luke, Jesus still draws attention to it and says, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? So while we know it was a common sign towards a teacher from a disciple, it is still highlighted as a means that this sign of affection only deepens the betrayal. Yet, There is hope in the midst of the betrayal. Jesus will make even this a complex good. Jesus has the last word in the passage as a whole when he says, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. So this moment of betrayal was actually foreshadowed in Zechariah chapter 11. God commands Zechariah to go to be a shepherd and care for a flock of sheep. It's really sad. That are destined to be stolen and killed unjustly. And obeying God, Zechariah goes and shepherds the sheep for a period of one month. And then he he leaves uh, from shepherding and he asks to be paid. And here's what Zechariah 11, 12 through 13 says. And they, the ones who are to pay Zechariah, weighed out my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. It It was a poor payment. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Note, Zechariah was paid 30 pieces of silver. It's the amount that Judas was paid to betray Jesus was also 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah's work was valued as an insult with the pay, and the Son of Man was betrayed by a shameful price. Zechariah threw his money in the temple. Judas did the same later in Matthew 27, feeling guilty for betraying Jesus. And Zechariah was told to throw it to the potter. And so the money that Judas Judas actually threw into the temple was gathered by the chief priests. And they said, oh, this is blood money. We can't use this. So we'll, we'll use it to buy a potter's field. Zechariah's passage points to a bigger plan even amidst the evil of Judas's betrayal. We see glimmers of good and of hope here, that while the evil is great, Jesus points to scriptures being fulfilled. 
the Son of God, in the midst of this betrayal, is found pointing to hope. To this day, I remember being uh, five years old in February of 1997, being allowed to stay up late in my small Pennsylvania townhome, in my small living room, in front of a small TV, made all the more awkwardly small by how many people were in front of it watching the 1996 season Super Bowl, where Brett Favre was leading the charge. On the second play of the game, I don't remember the details, but these ones I looked up. But it's cool. On the second play of the game, Favre called an audible, threw a 55-yard touchdown pass. He later completed a Super Bowl record-breaking 81-yard touchdown pass. And to end the game, Favre rushed for 12 yards and another touchdown. The Packers won the Super Bowl. Brett Favre played 16 seasons in Green Bay. He was the first and only NFL player to win three consecutive MVP awards. He helped the Packers appear in two Super Bowls. And he's, this one's amazing. He started every Packer game from September 1992 to January 2008. Never missed a start. 253 games and holds the all-time record for consecutive starts in the NFL. And then he left. He said he was going to retire, but he left. And then he, and then he went in the next two seasons, beat us again and again when he played for the Jets and the Vikings in 2008 and 2009. Such betrayal left a bitterness in our mouths until we realized just how good the newbie Aaron Rodgers was. We dared to hope. Regardless of how we feel about Rodgers now, we can safely say that out of this bad situation that some would call Brett Favre's betrayal, we gained a complex good. Complex in more ways than one, right? But there is hope for the Packers. While this illustration is a lighthearted example, it testifies to far greater hope, very different from Judas. That amidst betrayal, God fulfills his plans and we can have hope. Now you and I have not sold the physical Son of God for 30 pieces of silver in real life. We're different from Judas. Scripture says it would be better for him to have not been born. But we sadly have betrayed God in other ways. And here's what should gut us even more, though, is that we've done it while showing him signs of affection, too. You gathered this morning, you lifted your voice in praise, offering him your love, affection, and fealty. You've called him teacher and Lord. Have there not been times where you have done all of these things while domineering your child or spouse, while withholding his money, while lusting after one of his children, while betraying his flock for gain at work? while caring more about your image than his, while wishing suffering upon another, while lashing out in anger and impatience, while cursing at another driver, you and I have betrayed and wounded his people and him while showing signs of affection. It is shameful. I am ashamed. There are times in my past where I've stood up here 
leading people in ways to offer him affection while my heart has felt anger towards a brother. God forgive me. God doesn't want your, your false worship or half-hearted signs of affection. He doesn't want your good deeds only when you use them only to excuse your evil ones. He wants you. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. We all at times have betrayed our God while offering him our affection. But we have hope. Jesus, even in the midst of betrayal, will not let his promises of Scripture to you and I be thwarted. We repent, and his grace and his forgiveness covers even those wrongs that feel so awful. We also have hope for those whom you have wronged, whom I have wronged, while you have wounded them. God has not forsaken them. You cannot thwart his plan of good for them. And to you who have been wronged, have hope that God, through fulfilling his promises in Scripture, has not forsaken you. Isn't it a beautiful thing that God will exploit evil to bring about his people's good and his glory? We are to have hope amidst betrayal. And secondly, we are to have hope amidst misjudgment. Let's read again verses 46 through 49. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. Jesus is seized, and Peter, we know from other gospel accounts, cuts off an ear of one of the servants. It's likely that as he was going for the attack with the, with the sword, he was striking to act, moving to actually strike the head, but the, the guard, the, the servant would have moved and would have caught the ear. Peter's actions, though, in this moment feel so brash and out of place, a strike to kill someone. In what world would Jesus ever have had it that way? But it actually reflects the disciples' thinking still up to this point. They still assumed that the way that scriptures would be fulfilled was through the ushering of a physical kingdom that would conquer the Romans. They had to fight for it, but the disciples misjudged Jesus, and they misjudged how he would fulfill the scriptures. We also see Jesus misjudged by his captors. They came with swords and clubs, and Jesus responds by asking why. Another word for robber in the Greek here is insurrectionist, one who stirs up people into a rebellion. But Jesus is not a robber, nor was he starting a physical uprising. He was grossly misjudged. Even after having been very open and very plain with his disciples and with his captors, day after day he was with them in the temple teaching. And it is in this moment he has the last word of the passage we already mentioned, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. 
Jesus is declaring hope amidst this misjudgment. I've always been a little sore at insurance. Maybe you can relate. Long have I touted that the original insurance policy was the church. (laughs) We shouldn't need or have insurance. The church was God's means of providing when tragedy struck. While there may be some truth to some of my thoughts, there's also a misjudgment to some of them as well. I even worked for insurance for a year, my first year out of college, and I made some good money. I was licensed in property, casualty, life, and health, and I worked for American Family Insurance. They don't sing it anymore. But it was there that to boost my sales numbers, I decided to get, in addition to auto insurance, a renter's and a life policy. I was always, and again, I was always a little salty thinking that this would never pay off. And then in January of 2019, this happened to Rondelais in my apartment. We ended up, well, yeah. $22,000 later, I realized I had grossly misjudged renter's insurance. Thank goodness my judgment was wrong. And thank goodness the disciples and the armed crowd's judgment was wrong as well. Jesus came to fulfill the scriptures and to establish a spiritual kingdom. Because a physical kingdom could never have been the means to root out the destructive evil that resides in our hearts. No external pleasures or delights or dominion could ever satisfy our true longings if our hearts have not yet first been healed. A physical kingdom is coming, it's promised, but it would do very little unless unless we were healed in here. And yet, you and I once again are quick to misjudge Jesus as well. We're quick to assume that he came to bring us physical comfort rather than eternal peace. There is space to be angry at God. The Psalms even show us how to healthily have anger at God. But are you ever angry at God because you misjudge him? Is your anger rooted in misunderstanding his nature? Do you believe God owes you something you assumed he promised? Do you ever fear he really isn't as good as he says he is and that he won't take care of you or your family or your loved ones? Do you doubt his presence in the trial? In what ways do you misjudge God? What assumptions do you make about how he fulfills his scripture? Ah, this is a hard one. This is a really hard one, isn't it? That's why it requires knowing our Bible really well, to know what his promises mean and what they really are for you and I and what this life, what good and true and better life he offers for us than what we think he can. Even amidst your misjudgments, have hope. Even though you may get it wrong and forget, and even though he has shown you daily his promises, so we have no excuse for our misjudgment. He shows it daily. He still came to fulfill the scriptures. He still has promised to forgive us, to heal our sinful and broken hearts. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly.
We're to have hope amidst betrayal. We're to have hope amidst misjudgment. And thirdly, we're to have hope amidst abandonment. Almost in response to Jesus' last words about fulfilling the scripture. Uh, in verse 50 through 52, all the disciples flee and abandon Jesus. Mark is more descriptive on this point by even going into unusual detail, and unusual for Mark, that is, about one particular disciple who followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, who was grabbed and, but ran away, and in doing so, left the linen cloth and ran away naked. So between the unusual details given and no other gospel mentioning it, some believe this was actually Mark himself. <laughs> Regardless, Jesus' followers were quick to run. Even, even when it costed what remaining dignity they had left, such as clothing, they ran. It's hard to fully grasp this moment as we sit comfortably in a sanctuary. Yes, this is abandonment, but it's amplified. It feels amplified in many ways. It's, it's close in some ways to... to there's some comparisons that I think are worth making between, a spou- between spouses that have been married for three years, right? They've been with them day after day for three years. They promised devotion many times in those three years, even re-declaring their devotion a few hours earlier. And they're leaving their counterpart at their lowest point in life, the moment they would need them most. Pastor Dan illustrated this well last week. But as Pastor Dan also preached, this abandonment too did not thwart God's plan to bring hope to the world. This too, once again, was a prophecy of the uh, a fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah 13. That by striking the shepherd and by the sheep scattering, Zechariah prophesied that they, God's people, will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people and they will say, the Lord is my God. Scripture is fulfilled. The shepherd has been struck. The sheep have scattered. They have abandoned. And this is to be one of the very means by which Jesus draws his flock back to himself. God will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. I cried a lot when I went to South Africa back in April, about four months ago. <clears throat> when I get jet lagged, I get very emotional. <laughs> Prepare yourself, Mission Team 2024, <laughs> when you go with me. But no tears were more genuine than when I first walked into the orphanages that were there. When I first walked up to the first orphanage in the first building, there's a, a small garden on the left with many names written on plaques. And those are the names of the little babies that are abandoned and are given to the orphanage, but for whatever reason do not survive the transition into the orphanage. And then I walked into the orphanage, and there's a second rush of emotions. First, I was hit with the grief of seeing so many children in one space without mothers and without fathers, just to see the cribs lined in the room, found in parks, dropped off by city's authorities, or left in the baby box at the orphanage. There's so much pain and abandonment. 
But then I started to cry for a whole other reason. That these children, these special, privileged orphans, were rescued, and they now have the greatest opportunity and chance to hear and to understand the gospel. They were now being raised in an environment where the air was palpably thick, thickened by grace. You felt it as you engage and interact with the workers who were there. These children were destined for a new home. I was surrounded by testimonies of God bringing hope into a hurting, lost, sinning, and broken world. Jesus was abandoned first by his disciples in our passage, but then again by his Father on the cross. To give his children, who were cast out and were abandoned by their very own hand, by their very own hand to shiver and die in the darkness, he cast out his own son to bring them in. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Let us not point the finger at the disciples or point the finger at others in this room. You and I are also quick to run. Can you think of a time that you ran so fast and so far away from Jesus that it even cost you your dignity? And in that moment, you didn't even care. I fear to say, if any of us thought long enough, we'd find a time easily enough. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. He was betrayed that we might be united. He was misjudged that we might be judged pure and righteous. He was abandoned that we might be brought in as his children. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and prolong his days. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. There's, there's a danger in this sermon that we must be quite wary to avoid. And that is the danger of believing that evil is not as bad. Or we start thinking that our hurting others is really not that harmful. God's going to turn that evil into something good. They're not actually that wounded. We become so confident in God exploiting evil to make it a complex good that we somehow start to believe our sin is not that bad or we need not turn from it. First, I will quote Paul in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still be, still be alive in it, can still live in it? And second, I offer the same Lewis quote I gave earlier on the complex good. He actually continues, and he continues and says this, offenses must come, but woe to those from whom those offenses come. Sins do cause grace to abound, but we must not make that an excuse for continuing sin. The crucifixion itself is the best as well as the worst of all historical events. But the role of Judas still remains simply evil. 
for you will certainly carry out God's purpose, however you act. But it makes a difference to you whether you serve like Judas or like John. So let us have hope as ones who experience betrayal, misjudgment, and abandonment. And let us also have hope of God's forgiveness and grace as we ourselves are guilty of betrayal, misjudgment, and abandonment. I'll end with uh, some song lyrics. The following are song lyrics from a song called Citizens um, by an artist named John Guerra. Beautiful piano part, you should listen to it. It speaks of the pain of this world while looking towards the hope that awaits in heaven. It's a song about justice and about heaven. But it does a good job of acknowledging how our Savior had to suffer and how we abandon our Savior and choose this world. How we also experience others choosing this world and hurting each other. And it speaks of this complex good of God taking evil and promising hope in heaven. So I'll read it now. I didn't put the lyrics on the screen. I thought because it's a song, um, sometimes it's just meant to be heard, not read. Uh, you were alone and rejected, misunderstood and detested. You gave it all, didn't hold back. You even gave up your life. How can we call ourselves Christians, saying that love is a tension between the call of the cross and between the old party line? Coming to you for the mothers who are all running for cover, there's a flood from their weeping. Tell me you won't make them go. I need to know there is justice, that it will roll in abundance, and that you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants and you call us citizens and you welcome us, home, welcome us as children home. Next verse. There is a wolf who is ranting. All of the sheep, they are clapping, promising power and protection, claiming the Christ who was killed. Killed by a common consensus, everyone screaming, Barabbas! trading their God for a hero, forfeiting heaven for Rome. Coming to you because I'm angry. Coming to you because I'm guilty. Coming to you because you've promised to leave the flock for the one. I need to know there is justice that will roll in abundance and that you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants and you call us citizens and you welcome us as children home. Our God is transforming this broken world. Let the scriptures be fulfilled. He is not abandoned. He is not misjudged. He has not betrayed it. Let us have hope. Let's pray. God, our Father, we pray, Lord, that we will have a mind that is bent towards seeing your grace for us. Lord, to see your grace for others. Lord, to know that your love runs so deep that it cleanses, of, cleanses, cleanses us of all unrighteousness, including our misjudgment, including our abandonment, including our betrayal. And God, that you will, you will heal these wounds. Father, bring life out of situations that only seem full of death. Give us hope. Thank you, God, for the hope you have given. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.